Hi, this is Betsy Beers. I'm the executive producer of Grey's Anatomy and How to Get Away with Murder. And this is Shondaland Revealed, the official Shondaland podcast for our Thursday night programming, which of course includes the aforementioned television shows. And this is a very, very special Shondaland Revealed podcast today because... First of all, we have a guest who has not been on the podcast before, although we've tried to get him, but he was always very busy shooting the fine television show we like to call How to Get Away with Murder. And also because um, we found something out about this person character last night that was relatively monumental in terms of the future of the show and, in fact, the future of the character, I think, too. And that is, of course, the wonderful Alfred Enoch, who plays... Wes Gibbons, yes. who we call Alfie. Oh. Hello, Betsy. How are you Thank doing? you so much for doing this. No, thanks um, for having me. And um, as is always the case, you guys are going to love what Alfie's wearing. <laughs> because Alfie is wearing a Middleton University t-shirt. I am. It's gray with the green writing, which you all know from the show. And some very sporty uh, blue sort of very sporty sweatpants, which are very fashionable. A bit trendy. They're kind They're of super trendy. The They're bottom. super trendy. Taped, exactly, tapered at the bottom, and some argyle socks. Yeah, with a Just nice, um, yeah, it's sort of a, it's like a slightly Scottish feeling because it's that green and blue I'd that agree. I like in tartans, right? Wouldn't yeah, you? I think I think it is. A, yeah, a little bit of a Scottish feel. It's got a little bit of a Scottish feel and an Adidas, and you'll also notice that Alfie's speaking in his native tongue, which I is am. or his native accent. Actually, we all have the same. We all have the same. Although so some of the feels like we don't. Right. <laughs> no, exactly. We were actually before we started the research, we were just starting going through this list of things that um, everybody says across the pond, as mm. we say when we, when we call England, um, or at least that's what I call it, because somebody told me to call it that, so now I call it that. <laughs> but it's a little bit like when you go to Hawaii, they call it the mainland, like we're the mainland. So you guys are across the pond, and we were talking about, I mean, jumpers for you are... Sweaters. Are sweaters, for and you, for yeah. us, when piecers for us, right? And little kids wear jumpers, and everybody wears jumpers. Um, how, what would you describe as an anorak? An anorak, we might call that a mac. A Mac, okay, which is also sort of British, like, but then anorak was the first time I ever heard the word anorak used was with you people. Oh, really? Is that weird? Do you guys use Mac as well? We use, we use, like, we don't really, we call it a raincoat. Sure, that's very sensible. I know, which is, what we are is we are much more, like, idiotic about the way we say things. (laughs) So you guys come up with these delightful phrases, and we call things like a raincoat, because we're in the rain. And you're like, it's a Mac. There's an honesty about raincoat. There's an honesty about raincoat, and you won't think I'm wearing a computer, because that's a whole <laughs> That's a whole different... That's a whole thing. But then some people I knew called them their Burberries, because of course it was their Burberry. Oh, wow. Because it was very sort of fancy. That's very posh. Exactly. It's super, super posh. And we also, we were talking about skips. We were. <laughs> skips. Skips, which is like a dumpster for us, but... I like you guys call it skips. Yeah, I was saying it's, it's unusually enthusiastic on our part to, <laughs> to have such a kind of cheery name for it's a very, very functional object. Very, very cheery name. Okay, well, you're clearly from not America. Not America. But you managed true. to uh, speak in the most impeccable American accent. Oh, thanks, Patsy. Or mid, mid, Mid-Atlantic or Mid-Atlantic. American. <laughs> I like broadening it a little bit so it's oh. not just us. And... I always thought that was, a, you, you've managed to, the entire time in the show, you've been living with an American accent, right? I have. Yeah, it's, 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 it's because I was so terrified before we started, <laughs> Betsy, that I was going to be the person who ruined the show for everyone. I was like, because I'd never worked in the accent before. And I thought... You hadn't? Never. I didn't even know that. I'm glad you didn't find out till now. That's good. Oh my gosh, I and didn't even know that. We were in Philadelphia together and you sounded great. Oh, great. I mean... 
goodness. We had, I remember we had a vocal coach there. We did. And you know, the morning of the first table read, I was so terrified. Oh my that gosh. I woke up two and a half hours earlier than I otherwise would have and just did dialect exercises for exit work for two and a half hours. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I was like. He was great in the table it. read, you guys. He was, <laughs> he was terrific. He, you should have seen that. He sure, exactly. Sure. He fooled all of us. <laughs> and actually, I remember your audition tapes were actually really pretty good. Were they all right? Yeah, they oh. really, really were. So you all understand how this worked. Um, basically, when we when we were casting the pilot, mm. you were in London, right? I was. And you put yourself on tape. I did, yes. And with your with the casting director over mm -hmm. there, right? And so essentially, what happens sometimes when we're casting pilots is we're not all in the same place. And there's this great talent, which is in England or Australia or in Canada or other places. And we have to judge everything by virtue of what the tape is like. So as I remember, you put yourself on tape and then you did a session with Michael Offer, who directed the pilot. I did. And with Pete Nowak, the writer, and Linda Lowy, our great casting director. And then I think we cast you off that. Crazy. And That's was, all the more reason why I had to wake up at you know two and a half hours before. I was like, these people have never even seen me. And I was like, what are they thinking? How do they give me this job? Well, so, you know, uh, it was sort of, it's the ultimate blind date, isn't it? It's like so bizarre. It's such a blind date. And we used to say the same thing about Viola because we never met Viola either. Really? You and Viola. That's a slightly different prospect. Though. Well, I, think that's I guess, but I felt similarly because it was sort of like, you feel like you know you and then... Right. Um, and yes, yeah, so because it was it was one of these great things where we all arrived in Philadelphia and it's a little bit like, oh, hello. There we are. And Hi. I think the first conversation I probably ever had with you was about your facial hair and your hair. I remember. Yes, vividly. I remember. I was very kind of bedraggled. You I? had just finished doing, did you just finish doing, was it Coriolanus? It was Coriolanus, that's right. And you were in Coriolanus and you had a certain amount of facial hair. I did. The most Coriolanus, that I can for you guys who don't know, Coriolanus is a Shakespeare play, which is one of Shakespeare's mm. lesser known plays. And it's about a man with a very large mother complex, is the best way to put it. Don't you think? <laughs> yes. It kind of is. That is, that is. I kind of really much. loved it when I saw it. But Alfie was in the play, and oh, you, wow. had, you had a little beardy thing. Yeah, a beardy thing. Yeah, it was, was not quite a full grown. <laughs> it was <laughs> as full as I could grow it at the it was, time. But look at you. Like, um, now we're looking at him, he's got a full grown beard. And I feel much better about it now. Don't you? Yeah, so, this, is, this feels more plausible. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that was barely possible at the time. No, it was, that, was a, that was a sketchy proposition. So we, <laughs> we, we, we made you clean shaven, and yes. then I remember futzing with your hair a fair amount. The first, yeah, there was the first version that we had was a little, it was a little Michael Jackson circa like 1968. <laughs> It was, remember? It was, it was a little bubble. Yeah, it was entirely round and, and we, perfectly, we, so perfectly trimmed. That's a little bit of pair detail that fans <laughs> finally are getting to hear that they never Amazing. Well, look, the winter finale was obviously, this is an amazingly emotional episode mm. for all the viewers, for all the fans, because we finally found out who is under the sheet. And it's one of the people that we know and love best on this show, which wow. is incredibly moving for us. Mm. And I think probably emotional for you too I would yeah say. very very it was such a sort of bizarre thing to get your head around and i haven't really got my head around it yeah yet entirely yeah because i i mean what I, i'm stuck between sort of my feelings for myself and like what i'm gonna miss when i'm not around and everyone and the, the, you know it's such a joy doing this job and working with everyone it really is a pleasure so it's strange to sort of confront the idea that that's not going to be my day-to-day -day reality in the way that it has been um, hitherto. And the other side is I feel bad for Wes. 
Every right? yeah, I, seriously. I'm just like I start when I was reading that episode because you know Pete had told me before, so I knew it was coming before I got the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. ninth script. I couldn't help myself in that, and I think he told me actually uh, before we got the eighth script. So reading that, knowing that it was coming, yeah. yep, and then just everything I saw, I just thought, oh. All these hopes that I inevitably developed for Wes, mm -hmm. kind of a shot. Things mm -hmm. that he, exchanges he would never have with people. It's a kind of happiness that he's always, that every, all of the characters are tilting for. And, and I to totally, and I feel specifically so bad because first of all, we know more about Wes than we know about a lot of the other characters. Yeah. And when you realize what Wes has been through, the dude just couldn't catch a break. Right, from, <laughs> he really couldn't. <laughs> like, from watching his mother literally expire in front of him right. to this terrible moment with Sam, which you were just defending Rebecca, to the fact that you're the one who shot Elise because somebody had to do it. I mean, she was asking for it, so somebody had to do it. Stepped up to the plate. Stepped up to the plate to watching your father get shot in front of you. It's a little bit like born on a bad sign. I mean... Yeah. It was like, really, noses. I shouldn't have been surprised. I, no, I no. guess, but I, I have to say, when I found out, I had I think similar reaction to you, which mm. is it, it's also you really. I mean, I think what's great about the writing of the show and what's great about the show and great about our fans is Wes is a living, breathing person mm. to us. So it's you do really feel the loss, and especially mm. when you're playing the part. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You spent that that relationship, and it seems maybe a strange word to use, given. To some degree, I am him, but that relationship between you and your character is, is a very profound one. And the kind of luxury of having spent three years with him, you, you know, it's, it's not often that you get to go through that much story with a character as an actor and spend that much time with him and gain kind of that much understanding, really, and see him in different lights and see how he's changed. And so you get even, I've got even more invested with West than yeah. I have, yeah. you know, if I do a play, you know, that I did with the part I played Coriolanus, yeah, for example. Yeah, it doesn't change. It, exactly. It's, so you go and you do the same thing every night and you bring something different to it because you're an excellent actor. But oh, thank you. It's, it's a different thing and it's one of the amazing things about television it like is. this is the growth and the change that the character inevitably yeah. goes through, which is fascinating. How, when you look at Wes in the very beginning, mm -hmm. how do you feel like Wes changed, grew? Like, can you, can you sort of articulate it? What do, what do you think? Ah, it's difficult. I mean, it, it's interesting for me. I mean, it, I mean, his experiences are so drastic and so formative on account of that over the course of the season that he he's clearly changed a lot. But I always, there's a little bit of me that thinks, ah, my history teacher always used to say evolution, not revolution, mm -hmm. which maybe is a bit too mild for Wes's case. But I think even though we, we encounter him in a moment that he's very kind of, and I, I think he is naive because... Maybe that's a harsh thing to say because he cleaves to his principles mm -hmm. and, and, and maybe experience teaches you, certainly his experience, how difficult that actually is. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not like that those principles were entirely untested. You know what I mean? It's not yeah, like he turns up in Middleton and he's had an easy time of life and now it all begins. You know, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. he's seen his mom die right before she came from Haiti to give him a better life. They right. were immigrants. He's, you know, he, after that, he's moving around, living with different families, you know. I mean, he hasn't had an easy life. So there's yeah. a resilience in him that, for me, I believed in from the beginning. That was kind of important to me because I think one of the things that I think the show does so well is explore characters in different contexts and how 
how we change and we behave differently in those situations. So, so you know, West turning up at an Ivy League university, turning up at Middleton, right, having never been at an academic institution like it, it's a different prospect to him than it is for Connor and Michaela and Laurel and Asher, who, who seem yeah. much more used to that kind of... Yeah. So he's... It's that kind of fear of being new and, and, and sort of being about to embark on something that's going to be defining. Right. Um, I think allows us to see him at a kind of very kind of vulnerable moment at the beginning. And I think that's, that's absolutely part of him. But I think the, the kind of strength that we discover from him is a seed that, that is there at the beginning. And that's what kind of his, that's what's brought out of him by the adversity that he faces over the course of the show, I think. Yeah. And I, one of the moments I always remember is in the pilot, Wes initially doesn't want to, he challenges Annalise. Mm-hmm. He says he's, he's not sure he's going to be part of her, her team. And he's a, he calls her out and says, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're, just, you're just trying to, get, you're just getting me in because I've got your secret. You need me to keep it for you. That's right. Which is, a, to me, is a very bold and very kind of forceful thing to do. Oh, and I think um, that's a gigantic hint as to his makeup. What I always find interesting watching is how much better suited Wes is in adversity than Connor. Yeah, yeah that's who interesting. Who is obviously been having a massively difficult time coping with everything mm. and coming from where he comes from. And as you say, it's very much your history as a character, but right. also just there's a native sort of resilience yeah. that even shows up with the experience with his mother. I mean, where he learns how to sort Great. of either disassociate or whatever it is that right. he does to, to survive. So he's he is and has been, I think, the most resilient Mm. Maybe Wes and Laurel. Yeah, I, think. I would say you know because I think Michaela handles it in a different way. But and Laurel, I think the penny's just sort of starting to drop. Like the ramifications for everything that's been happening. Right. Because I think a lot once she became close to Wes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. their relationship sort of opened them both up a little bit. Yeah, I think it did. Which is the other thing which really bums me out. Because I, oh, God, it I know, me right? Too. It really bums I really, me out. I really I want them to keep like having a relationship so that's. Well, the great thing about the show, you guys, is if you look at Sam Keating, I don't know how dead anybody ever is. So. <laughs> you can't count Just any chickens. Just saying, not really, not really clear. <laughs> um, do you do you feel like you, Alfie, have much in common with Wes the character? I respect him so much that I really think it would. <laughs> I'd be being very nice to myself <laughs> to say so. I really think he really impresses me. That resilience and his, his principledness and, and his, I mean, those two, and they go hand in hand because the fact that he kind of sustains one kind of through the other is amazing, really. I mean, I think I am probably principled to some degree. I mean, I, I think I try and cleave to things I believe in. Mm-hmm. And I think Wes is more cautious, certainly. Yeah, I think he certainly is. And I think when you have a tragedy super early on in your life like that, I think you probably tend to be more circumspect and your spidey sense has to be really good because you never feel like you're safe. Yes, that's exactly it. That's so well That I think probably that's not necessarily something that we've experienced to the same degree. But it's, yeah, and I think think it is admirable. Do you have like favorite scenes that you've done? Does something come to mind? Oh, gosh. I mean, one of the things that will always, because it was so... It, it, it was such a great kind of time capsule. It was the third day of shooting in Philadelphia. And we, we were shooting at that college outside of Philadelphia. We did the big party scene. Yes. Where Wes sees Sam Keating for the first time and goes, that's not the guy I saw the other night. And ends up um, in the bathroom and Annalise ends up, yes. That's it. That was kind of when it landed for me. 
what a wonderful opportunity I've been given, you've given me. And, and you know. No, yeah. like you, you got yourself. And, well, but that was what was great about that scene was, I remember when we, the first time we watched that scene, it was, it was like so unexpected. Uh, but you guys, your chemistry was so good. It was one of those things that you just stopped and you watched and you went, what the hell just that? happened? <laughs> and you were so in with Wes. Uh, at that moment and i remember some people's reactions one person said uh, uh, does that does that belong in the show <laughs> and i remember us uh, saying that's the show that is the show exactly what i just that's thought. the show yeah. in one scene right. that's the show because it's all about people behaving not the way you expect them to behave right but behaving the way something inside of them is making them behave or because they're trying to elicit a reaction of somebody, which is what defense attorneys do, for right. God's sake. So right. it's that's just one of my all-time favorites. I just, I, I totally, totally agree with you. I just think there's something about that character in the pilot. The winter finale from last year where it's Annalise with the gun and you're with the gun right. and she tells you about Rebecca. That's, that that whole episode for you was like, because you're in one total headspace and right. then was amazing to watch was your face because everything changes uh, and then it's almost like you didn't even know what you were doing i love that moment so much that's funny that's another one that's, that's that i just me. think is it's super super awesome oh, so great. so much of it is so enjoyable to play because because you know pete and the writers give us some just crazy <laughs> things crazy to deal balls, with the stakes are so balls. high and absolutely things are so and, kind of drastic. And, and then, like, the other thing which most of our listeners know is that mm. nine times out of ten, you guys don't know what's happening, or what's coming. Right. So there was a long period where nobody knew who was under the sheet, mm. which caused a fair amount of it did. upset, I would say, and legitimately <laughs> so, because yeah. as somebody said, it's like being on a horrible game show. Right. You know, because the truth is, until Pete figured it out, and he said that he would say sure. as soon as he figured it out, but, but that's just a, that's a mac macro example of mm. just the way... Yes. The brain operates, and I think, was it hard for you to get used to a world in which you had no freaking clue what was going to happen next? Very hard. Right? It was so bizarre. It was honestly, it was so, I mean, I remember, I remember, we, because we were all trying to get our heads around that in the first season, and one huge part of the challenge is not knowing what's coming, but another whole different side of it is not knowing what's gone before. Right? The nature of the show, the flashback sequences, we were like, and we were just trying to work out, like, we're, we're disposing this body, of this body, and we don't know who killed him. <laughs> well, that must be one of, is it one of us? Is it not one of us? And we're just desperately trying to work it out. And I remember once, <laughs> we were trying to explain it to one of the writers on set, Erica was on set, she was like, you know, you don't always know what's coming. I was like, but this is what's gone before. And, and, and I came up with this slightly preposterous analogy, but I was like, I mean, it'd be like shooting Hamlet out of sequence, and then the last thing you discover is that it's Claudius. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that's, like, that's like the first thing you need to know. So it was so odd, kind of, and, and very challenging at first to kind of grasp something concrete, I guess, in our uncertainty as actors about what what had just happened, what was going on with the story. Totally, totally. Because I, I remember having, I don't know if it was a conversation with you or who it was about timeline the first season, right. because everyone kept trying to figure out what the timeline was. They were like, Goodness. I think you were, you were like, okay, if this happened then, and this <laughs> happened then. The other thing and it's, it's this funny thing, because I think it's super challenging for actors, but weirdly what happens is it absolutely keeps you in fully real time performing. Mm, mm. 
so you're always in the moment. And also because you don't know if you're murderers and you don't know what you've done. Right. It was, so, you know, last question, which is a silly question, but everybody always wants to know this. Mm. Who's the funniest person on set? Who cracks you up the most? Because you have a wonderful laugh and you're very generous and kind with it. So I just want to know who genuinely, <laughs> genuinely cracks you up. I mean, everyone to varying degrees. Right. I, I, I'm, I think it, it's like being very ticklish, you know, I'm, I'm, very, easy, <laughs> I'm very easily amused. I mean, Matt, Matt McGorry is just one of so the funny. funniest people. I mean, so I, funny. I think if we haven't had maybe that many Wes Asher scenes because of the, I mean, we had one in the first season. And, I remember that. Oh, goodness. It was just, we couldn't, we couldn't get it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I mean, the, the scene required, effectively, Wes to be quite stony-faced as Asher, like, spouts out a list of preposterous things he's, he's going to do. I think he's basically listing his sexual objectives because he says we, we have a night off so i'm That's gonna correct. get some and he goes on a little riff about all sorts of things including the millstone meatsicle that's right. Which really was impossible for me not to laugh. Well, what isn't evident is that he, he's got however many different versions. Of it is amazing when you watch dailies, which are obviously, goodness. as you guys all know, the things that we watch every day, mm. which are the rushes from shooting. And he gives five or six different versions goodness. of varying degrees of offensiveness, <laughs> funniness, straight, like, straight like the saying the line perfectly deadpan but it's kind of amazing because you get all these different degrees right and there's there's this one thing i still remember from season one where he's alone in his apartment and he's dancing he starts humping the wall that i'm sorry i can't get it out of my head i think it was season one and he's like he's getting ready for murder night right. he doesn't know it's murder night he's painfully funny oh uh, well look thank you so much for going down memory lane with me here no, this is amazing, just just delightful you. and i can hardly wait to see what happens in the second part of the yes very exciting because not not totally sure as to what's going on yet so you Neither guys you know me but we will i know and we are going to be taking a break as all of you know because the holidays come up now many different holidays for many different <laughs> people but it just generally means that for us we stop showing our fine television shows mm. and you all are going to have to wait till january oh. when um tgit will be back so we'll be back with a little uh gray's anatomy and scandal how to get away with murder amazing and that will um be debuting thursday january 19th 2017. Thanks again to EW.com for posting an exclusive first listen of the podcast. And thanks to all of you listening, and especially those who subscribe to this podcast at iTunes.com backslash Shondaland. The Shondaland Reveal podcast, here's not a surprise, will be back along with TGIT in January of 2017. So until then, best wishes, happy holidays. Thank you again, Alfie. Thank you, Betsy. And we all wish you a safe and happy rest of 2016. Bye-bye.